about the idea that, you know, we put our hope in so many th- different things for our identity. We put our hope in so many different things for our purpose, for our, you know, just joy, for our happiness. Man, there is nothing in this world that provides us the hope and security that a life in Christ can. And, you know, this morning we're going to kind of get into a study that is going to be our fall series. You know, every year we like to go through one epistle of Paul. And um, and I think we'll talk about a little bit this morning and next week, uh, a little bit more of why that is so important and why I just love Paul so much. Because I think there's so much with Paul that we can relate to. You know, in some ways he's just far beyond us, but then in some ways he's just like us. And so... Over the next three weeks, we're going to start kind of setting the tone for what our study in Galatians will look like because we're going to talk about the ingredients of what are in that study, what are in that letter that Paul wrote to that church that he established, that he brought the gospel to. And then what happens within that church is that a different gospel starts to come in, this work-based gospel that brought along with it guilt, that brought along with it shame, that brought along with it the weight of sin that Paul came in and he preached the gospel that said that weight of sin is no longer on you and that this new gospel that you're hearing is weighing you down. And so what I, how I think and how I believe is important for us to enter into that study is first talking about the ingredients of that study. And so this morning, we're going to start talking about the apostle Paul, or as we'll read here this morning, his name was Saul, which was his Hebrew name, and then Paul was his Gentile name. But uh, we'll call him Paul just for the sake of all of us being on the same page, because I'll, I'll, instead of saying both of them, because I'll mess that up all morning. But I want us to see this morning who Paul was before Christ, because I think that's very important for us to see. You know, we we think about Paul, the great Paul that wrote the majority of the New Testament, that was the missionary that brought the, the gospel to the world. And, you know, he is all of those things, but there is also a history to Paul, a history that Paul constantly referenced to because he wanted people to understand the radical change that Christ can make in the life of any individual that comes to him. And so this morning, we're going to talk about that a little bit. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And we're going to allow that to kind of bring us into this this morning. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen for you. I'll read it, and then we'll pray together and ask God's Word to speak to us. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul, who is Paul, was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Father. Lord, I know there's so many things we come in here with this morning, so many weights, so many burdens. God, whether we're here this morning or listening online, Father, we know, God, that this life is full of hurt. God, we know this life is full of of the weights of our anxieties, the weights of our worries, the weights of our goals, the weights of of the, the standards we have put on ourselves and feel from the places we're at. Father God, I pray this morning we lay everything at your feet. God, and as we read about a man who would become a great man but started out his life angry at you, God, angry at your people, 
Father, allow us to be humble this morning. God, let us see the places at which maybe ourselves or the people around us that we're trying to evangelize to may be falling into these categories, fighting in the way they're fighting. Father, get a, let us see what you have for us, God. Humble us, convict us in all the ways you would have us to be this morning. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the elements of the book of Galatians, you know, we have titled this study Grace to You because that is how Paul starts off his letter to the church at Galatia when he te- he's doing his intro. He says the words grace to you because for one, the element of grace is a constant theme through the book of Galatians and that is be one thing that we talk about when we get into that study, uh, really get into the book of Galatians. But also Paul is a heavy character in that theme and then another theme is the law, which we'll talk about in two weeks as we kind of talk about the law and kind of lay the groundwork for what's going on in Galatia in regards to the law. And so a little bit about the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul is a very important person in the history of the church, uh, but Paul was a very important person long before he stepped into uh, the work of the church. He was an important person in the place where he was from and the, and the people he was serving and the things that he was doing. You know, uh, in Paul's life, uh, you know, so we said Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul would have been given to him in his dealings with the Gentile world, you know, that, that just shows you how little respect that the, the, the Jews had for the Gentiles as far as religion goes, the, that they would use a completely different name in dealing with them. And so, you know, Paul was, his, he was not given Paul later on after his conversion. Paul was always part of his, his namesake. Uh, you know, he lived in a wealthy town, the Bible tells us, in Tarsus. It was, it had a famous university there, the highest education that you could have had. Uh, and he, he himself would have been held in high esteem for some of the things that he accomplished. Uh, but he was also a Roman citizen, which is very important because we know that the Roman citizens got better treatment than those who weren't Roman citizens. And so, you know, Paul within himself, he was set up for success. He was set up for comfort. He was set up for prosperity. He was set up for all the things that I feel like we fight day after day to grab a hold of. Paul had those things laid before him. You know, and just a few things about Paul from Scripture. Uh, Scripture tells us a lot about the life of Paul. Acts chapter 22 verse 3 talks about his early life. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, uh, and this guy is a leader of the Sanhedrin, a very prestigious, the, the, the religious order there, and according to a uh, strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous or passionate for God, as all of you are this day. And so Paul's laying the groundwork. He says, listen, basically I grew up in a, in a religious home. He said, I grew up uh, in, an, in an area where the esteem of God was held to high regard, and the law was a very important thing. He, he, he studied under a rabbi who was the leader of the Sanhedrin or the religious order. And so he was, he was getting the best. He was learning the most. I mean, he was grabbing hold of and just taking in all that the law and the, and the, 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 the Bible, the Torah had to offer him. 
You know, and so then his family, a little bit about his family. In Acts 23, 6, it says, Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee. So not only would Paul become a religious man and a religious leader, but his father was a leader. So he, Paul was basically a pastor's kid in this time. Like he was, he was just generation after generation of religious uh, people. And so Paul was a part of that. So he had this expectation. He had this family upbringing, this, this, this you know, way of life that he knew from the very beginning. You know, and, and then he lived. He lived that life to the fullest as far as following in that manner. He says, my, in Acts chapter 26, verses 4 through 5, he says, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So he says, I have lived by the rules, that if there are do's and don'ts, then I have done all the do's and I have done none of the don'ts. He says, I have done all of those things. Philippians 3, verse 5, he says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. And he basically says, like, I'm, I'm, I'm it. Like, I, I had it together. Like, I knew the law. You remember, Pharisees, they had to have the law memorized. Like, they, they knew more about the law than anyone else did. And that's why everyone looked to them as, like, the religious elite. Like, they know the law. They're following the law. They're teaching the law. And so they, they were, by all regards, the religious of the religious. And if anybody had it together, they would have believed that they had it together, that they were doing all that needed to be done to get to God, that they were doing everything that needed to be done to be looked at by God as holy and worthy. But as we know, Paul was still missing something. And so because Paul was still missing something, there were things that in this text, in Acts chapter 7 and chapter 8, that will be presented to Paul that he has to engage with and that he has to respond to in some way because it's in opposition to what he thinks he's known his whole life. You know, and so there's two things this morning that I believe Paul has to face, that I believe we at some point in our life had to face, either now or are facing now, uh, or there are people that we're evangelizing to that they have to face as we're presented with the gospel of Jesus and what that means in our lives. Because we live in a culture that is so just, you know, performance-based, we live in the cancel culture where if you've done anything wrong in your entire life, then you're going to be boycotted for it. They're going to look back in your history and bring it up before you and try to tear you down because of it. And so we are such under the microscope based off of everything we do and everything we say and every action that we make that we automatically bring that into everything with a holy God. Which in nine times out of ten either completely just tells us, like, we, we have no place. I'm just giving up. There's no way a holy God would want anything to do with my filth. Or in the sense of Paul, we become angry. And we begin to push back and fight against. So there's two things this morning that, I, that we see in this text. And, and as we just kind of navigate uh, this experience that Paul has, I think it's similar to an experience maybe we have had or someone that we know is having in regards to facing the faith. And the first thing that we see is that we have to do and that Paul, what happened to Paul in this moment is that Paul was facing the facts. Paul was facing the facts that were being presented to him. 
You know, right before this in verse in uh, chapter seven, we know that that the, the 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 deacon Stephen is brought before the religious people, and he's speaking the gospel from beginning to end. He's saying, "Look, your fathers were wrong. All the things that you have been taught were wrong." He actually tells him in verse fifty-one, "You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears." Like this would have been so degrading to those people. He was telling them, "You were wrong, and your fathers were wrong." And so in this moment, Paul is hearing this. Paul is hearing this because, remember, it says in verse 8, the first verse we read in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, and Saul approved of his execution. So Paul is present during this time. Paul is uh, present during this execution, the stoning of Paul. And so what's happening to Paul is something that I believe happens to all of us in some sense. Either it's within our religious mindset or it's within the, our life separate from God. It's that we're faced with the facts, the reality that what I believe I've known or the way I've been living is completely wrong. And that's a hard truth to acknowledge, right? Maybe you come from a religious home and, and there's certain things about uh, the faith that you've believed and that are presented. Maybe it's even things that I say. You know, there are things that I say that I didn't believe my whole life, but I had to face the facts of those things, you know, for the, the fact that uh, for for Paul, you know, his father, his family, they, they lived this strict religious life. This is what Paul knew. This is what Paul had been taught. And so that at some point within this context, Paul has to face the fact that my whole life has been taught wrong to me. That, that everything that my father has, has said to me, that if I accept what they're saying, it means that everything they've said is wrong. You know, and parts of that is true. But then in parts of that, you know, for me in my life, even though I don't practice the specific religious traditions that my family taught me, I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful that, that I was brought up in a home that, that sought after Christ. You know, but then as I were to grow and as I were to get into God's word, I would be presented with things that I would not agree with over time. And that as I started to really see God's word speak and, and see God's word reveal things, those things begin to challenge things that I had known, things that I had relied on, things that I had thought that I needed to, to do to get closer to God, to experience God. And that's not a hard, that's a hard thing to face. And that's what Paul in this moment is having to face the reality of the facts that what he has known is wrong. And what does that lead him to do in facing the facts? It leads him to anger. It leads him to, to an action. It says that he approved of his execution, of, of uh, Stephen's execution. This word approved, in some translations it may say consenting. But what this, this phrase actually communicates is to be pleased with, that he took pleasure in this moment whenever this happened to Stephen because he was so angry. Because he was facing this reality that what he had known was wrong, what he had known was not the truth about who he thought God was or what God was calling him to do. And so in that, his response was anger. This movement was attacking his traditions, and so it, it, it led him to blind rage. Because the reality for us is we don't like to be wrong, right? We don't like to think at any point in our life that we or anybody we love has ever been wrong about anything. But if we're honest with ourselves in approaching the gospel, whether it's coming from a life of no religion, no God, no mention of God, or it's 
coming from a religious home where the, the truth, the true gospel presentation about God is different than what we've been taught, that's a very difficult place for us. And, and even for me, I'll admit even in my own life that my initial natural response is very similar to Paul's in a sense of, I mean, I didn't stand and, and approve of someone's execution, but in a sense, killing off these thoughts, killing off these draws towards this gospel that I just didn't understand, that that wasn't what I had been raised in, that wasn't what I had necessarily been taught in this capacity. You know, and very similar to Paul with us, man, we just, we push away. We push away at things that challenge what we've believed, right? We, we push away at things that, now, don't, don't hear me. I need to be very clear because as I'm saying this, I, be clear. I am not saying we push away from orthodoxy when we're challenged by something else. Christianity and the gospel and what the Bible teaches us is what it is, and we don't need to accept lesser things just for comfort or just for complacency or just for cultural acceptance. That's not what I'm saying. But within seeing the true gospel in relation to either an unbeliever's life or a religious work-based focus, life, we have to, we have to be able to be challenged in that because the gospel is not those things. You know, we talked about the grace is a theme of Galatians, you know, and as we get into it, we'll see more of that truth. But what Paul was raised in, what Paul was taught was not a gospel of grace. What Paul was taught was a gospel of work, was a gospel of him spending day after day earning his spot at God's table. Can you imagine the work that Paul put in to try to get in God's good graces and then for some man to come in and say what you've been taught about God and his acceptance of you is wrong and that the only way that you can be accepted by God is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how angry he would have been at that? I've spent my whole life working towards this, and you're telling me everything I've done is meaningless? Absolutely not. When in reality, God is saying, look, what you've done is not meaningless. It's just being utilized in the wrong way. You're using it to earn your place at my table. When in reality, what I'm inviting you into, I'm inviting you to my table to enjoy those things that you've talked about and to share them in a way that points to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, for the washing of shame and guilt, so that in my sacrifice, it's a sufficient sacrifice for all those things that you've tried year after year after year to sacrifice. Remember when we talked about the atonement, you know, that you come year after year after year trying to wipe away sin and you have to keep coming back, but he's tell, he says, I'm telling you, there is one sacrifice that does for all and if you would just understand this this is not what your father's taught you but this is what I'm telling you that there is a gospel of grace that is found in Jesus you know but when we're faced with the facts when it challenges what we've known or what we've been taught that's difficult for us that was difficult for Paul he fought against it but listen, when we face the true gospel, we have to be willing to be challenged. We have to be willing to see what God has for us in the midst of that. And so not only is there facing the facts, but then the next thing that we see from Paul and that I believe we see from ourselves at times and maybe people around us that we're trying to evangelize, and we see the second thing is passionate reactions. We see passionate reactions. And we see Paul respond passionately believing that he's doing God's work. We have to keep that in mind, that everything Paul is doing, he's doing in the name of religion. He thinks that he's doing the work that God has put before him to do. 
in verse 3, we see what Paul continues to do. He says, uh, Paul or Saul, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. In verse 9, we see it even communicate more. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. So Saul, or Paul, is angry, and it is leading him. It is taking his passions for God, and it is leading him against other people. It's leading him to be an oppressor. It's leading him to be someone violent and angry towards this group of people. The word ravaging, this word ravaging, it refers to an army destroying a city or a wild animal tearing at its meat. And this verb tense, this word ravaging, is an imperfect verb tense. So it means that it's not completed. That is a constant reoccurring thing. And that anytime we're driven by religion, anytime we're driven by a work-based religion, it is going to lead us to ravage each other because we're going to be fighting against each other, com- uh, comparing ourselves to each other. It will not lead us to a relationship where we're focused on God. And that's what that's what Stephen is trying to tell these people. He's telling them, your work-based religion is leading you to tear each other apart, leading you to elevating yourself to this place where you're better than everybody else because you're doing the work better than everybody else. Man, Paul, but Paul is not hearing that. Paul is not hearing that. And for us, a lot of times, we don't want to hear it either because it makes sense for us to feel like we've earned something. It makes sense for us to feel like, well, we've worked hard for it. It makes sense for us to, 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 you know, because we live in that world. We live in that culture. Well, if you're good enough, then you get it. And so for Paul and for us, you know, our eyes, our hearts, our minds, our motives are clouded without Christ. Even when we are believing what we're doing, we believe is good. Because remember, everything Paul did, he would have believed it was for God's glory. He would have believed it was for the good of God. But it's hard for us to ever imagine that as Christians or even as religious people, that we could ever be doing something good and then it not be giving glory to God. You know, there are a lot of religious people, a lot of Christian people who use that label as a platform for hate. You know, and man, just the more that that the gospel just speaks to me and the more that, that I pray it speaks to us, we would know that religious oppression is never gospel tradition. That if our religious obedience ever leads us to violence, to hate, to oppression, it is false and faulty. There is no place in the entire Bible that I've found that justifies hate, anger, or violence towards anybody for God's glory. For the Christian faith, nowhere. You find it, we'll talk about it. There is nowhere in the Bible that ever promotes violence for good's sake. Because the reality is unbridled passion is a problem even if that passion is for God or for some religious order or even for Christianity. If it is unbridled, unconnected to Jesus and the gospel, it is wrong because Jesus and the gospel never leads us to oppression. It never leads us to violence. It never leads us to hate. It never leads us to just using and abusing other people around us. That is not what the gospel ever preaches and tells us to do. 
But Paul hid behind these convictions to justify his actions. And a lot of times Christians do the same thing. They use their religious standing to look down on other people. They use what they believe about Christianity or about Christ or about religion to, to, uh, to oppress other people, to be hurtful to other people, to call other people out, to lump shame or, or, or guilt on other people. That is not what the gospel has called us to do. And I love it because we see that's not what Stephen did to these men. Stephen received violence. He didn't give it. Stephen died for the faith. He didn't kill. But that doesn't make sense to us because in our minds, that's weakness. When I would argue that's the greatest strength we could ever show is to die for our faith. The greatest strength we could ever show is to be ridiculed for our faith. The greatest strength we could ever show is to not be the victor in an argument for our faith. Hey, let's have communication. Let's talk about the gospel But let it never, let the goodness of God never lead us to violence. Never lead us to hate, which in the Bible, when he tells us to hate your brother is the same as murder. So if we've hated anyone because of our faith, and we've basically killed, we're basically no different than Paul. And Paul himself talks about these things in Acts twenty-two nineteen. He said, and I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. Acts twenty-two four. he said, I persecuted this way, you're talking about Christianity, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. And he not only says it in the fact of this is what I chose, to, this is what I did to them physically. But he even went as far as to force them to speak against Christianity, against following Christ and being disciples of Christ in Acts 26, 11. He says, and I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to the foreign cities. When we're, you know, and, and I don't know if you see this. I like to watch videos and, and things of, of people, you know, having these discussions, uh, apologetic discussions and debates. And you can see in the heart of individuals who just hate Christianity. They hate it. They hate it. You know, and they will press against it, and they will say everything they have to say, and you can just hear the anger and the violence in their voice because it challenges them at their core. We don't, you know, our natural selves, when we're presented with this gospel, we're presented with Christ, the first thing it makes us do is it, it brings to light our sin. It brings to light where we fall. It brings to light where we fail because we have to acknowledge that when we're faced with the perfect law of Christ, as Paul would know. But in moving forward from that, we serve a God who seeks to redeem and so he gave Jesus Christ to redeem us from that sin and so for us you know when we're faced with this idea very much like Paul you know when we when we don't like something when we hate you know and for Paul he hated this so much that he wanted to even cause those within it to denounce it and there are people in our world today and it will be worse that there are people that hate what we believe so much that they are going to fight to denounce it they're going to fight to convince you and those around you of otherwise, and we have to be able to constantly step into those spaces and speak something different. You know, but even in the context of, say, a relationship, when we have, you know, part of that relationship that is just not on board with Christ, but the other is, that makes for a difficult place because when we're not speaking into something, we're speaking against it. When we're not in support of something, we're, we're pushing against it, we're pressing against it. 
You know, but the thing that I love about God and I love about the gospel is that even in the midst of people's hate, even in the midst of oppression and persecution, God's work continues. And that we are either a part of the work or respectating the work. You know, because in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, within this context, he says that as Paul is doing this, in verse 2, he says, devout men, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 1, it says, uh, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria. And so that should sound familiar to us. Judea and Samaria, why does that sound familiar? And so what Paul is doing is he's trying to sniff out the Christian faith and he's trying to can- cancel it. He's trying to crush it. He's trying to keep it from going anywhere just violently. He's going house to house, which is awesome that churches were meeting at houses. That's another message for another day. But they were. he was going house to house, getting the church, pulling people out. And so in the midst of that, when Paul would think that he's ahead, that he's accomplishing the work that he set out to accomplish, actually what is happening is the work that Jesus proclaimed before his ascension is happening. In the midst of the church's greatest oppression, God's greatest work is happening. And we know that because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does Jesus tell his apostles? He says, but you will receive when the, uh, the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all of Judea and Samaria. So Jesus has already said, you're going to be scattered. And so, but what Jesus was saying is that you're not going to be scattered just because you've decided to go. You're going to be scattered because of oppression. You're going to be scattered because this man out of hatred is going to come after you. But what does God know that we, they didn't know is that God's greatest work happens in the midst of oppression. Church, can I just speak this and I feel like I say this all the time because we need to know it the more the oppression and persecution comes against the church that's the more that we should be pressing against and stepping into the spaces because God is doing a great work God is doing a great work we can't be ashamed of our faith now we can't be afraid to tell people about Jesus now even in times as they get worse and they will that people that Christians are less accepted that they're less liked that they're more looked at as bigots, that they are more pressed away from the culture and and, then the people in the world, that we would stay strong to our faith because it's in the midst of that that God will do his greatest work. It's in the midst of that pressing and the oppression and the persecution that God will do his greatest work and we're either a part of it or respectating it and we will miss, church, we will miss the greatest work that God wants to do with us. Can you imagine as, and we know that, that they continued to preach because right after this in verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They went about preaching the word. They continued that even in their hurts, even in having to leave their homes, even in potentially having to leave behind family, that they continued to preach the word. When we aren't stepping into the work of Christ, we are missing out on the experience of that work. Seeing and experiencing the world from the winning team's side. Because listen, God's team is the winning team. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. And I pray, I pray that our passionate reactions will be led, guided, and directed by what Christ is doing for us. And so why does this matter for us? And then I'll be done this morning. Paul was a man faced with facts that were not compatible with his current lifestyle, and so he passionately pressed against it. Listen, there will be a lot of things time after time within the gospel and with the message about Jesus and what he calls us to do that are going to be facts presented to us that press against the reality of the 
of, of our minds, of what we want to do or what's comfortable for us or what makes us happy or what maybe our family have told us or taught us. There are going to be things that the gospel presents to us that will challenge what we've known or what we do. And the prayer is that in our passionate reaction that we would not passionately press against what God is trying to do and challenge and convict us within us, but that we would passionately respond in obedience, that we would passionately follow what he has for us. Paul had it all. He was set up for success. He was comfortable. But we can't let our prosperity blind us to our purpose. Our purpose, the chief end of man, is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. That's what God has called us to be and to take part of. And so a couple things to finish out that we would just be trying to sum things up. If our commitment to traditions leads us to do anything but love for God and love our neighbor as ourselves, that is wrong. The gospel tradition never leads to oppression. Has man used it that way? Absolutely. But God has not called us to violence. He has not called us to hate. He has not called us to riot. He has not called us to, to, to degrade others. He has not called us to do anything other than like they did, preach the word, share the word, share the gospel with people. Let them know that there is a Savior that died, that his blood was shed for them. If they would just receive it, then their life will be atoned for, that their sin will be paid for. And also, as we live in this work-based world and we fight against the, the idea that Christianity is a work-based religion of salvation by work rather than salvation than work coming from salvation, that when we adhere to a law or religiosity or religious rules, rather than the working love of Christ on the cross, it will always lead us against each other. If we live and work in a work-based salvation where we're trying to earn our place at God's table, it's inevitably always going to lead us against each other. Like, like the Pharisee and, and the tax collector. You know, I want to be the tax collector. I don't want to be the Pharisee that ever stands and says, God, thank you that I'm not like this man, that I haven't failed like this man, that I've done more than this man. I want to be the tax collector falling on my knees saying, God, forgive me because I've done wrong. God, forgive me because I've been sinful. God, forgive me because I've made mistakes. God, forgive me. God, I put my faith in you. Let me be that person. Let us be that person. Let us not be the religious elite standing above, towering above everybody around us. But let us be the broken, leaning into the lives of those who desperately need Jesus. Our families need Jesus. Your friends need Jesus. Our bosses need Jesus. Our coworkers need Jesus. Everybody around us needs Jesus. And we're the conduit in which it gets to them. Can we be that? Can we use our passion and what we know about life to drive us to other people to share Jesus with them? You know, there is no method of Christian evangelism that is violent. It is passionate. It should be. We should never present the gospel or talk about Jesus in anything less than passionate. Is it loud? It should be. People should hear what we believe and why we believe it. And is it enthusiastic? It should be. May we be people that face the facts of the reality of the gospel and that we would bind our passions to Christ. And let us lead you know, as we learn from Paul, we'll, we'll find out the good, the good stuff about Paul next week. 
You know, we'll see what God did with Paul next week. And I pray that we can see that as somebody as rotten as Paul was, that God had great purposes for him. And I pray that we would know that in the rottenness of our hearts and in our sin, God has great purposes for us. But first, we have to face the facts, the reality of our sin and what God is trying to break down within us. That God breaks us to remake us into something brand new, but we have to face that. Then I pray that our passionate reaction would be for the goodness of God and the glory of his kingdom and the love of our neighbor. As we react, not in anger, but we react in compassion for the gospel's sake. Church, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for, Lord, everything that you do for us. God, I pray that in a world of distractions, we would not be distracted from the reality of what the gospel is. God, even though we know that you did so much with Paul's life, I pray that we can learn from his response and reaction, to, first off, to the facts, and then how he would use that, that, that the passion he had for you for negative, that he would use it and, and to, 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 to kill your people, God. And you would even say, as you interacted with him on the road to Damascus, Paul, why have you been persecuting me? God, that even in our anger, even in our frustrations, God, that we would be gospel-driven that we would use gospel method in everything that we do. Lord, through patience, through compassion, through love, through mercy, through grace, all these things you've given us. But God, let us be enthusiastic. Let us be passionate. Let us be loud about what we believe and why we believe it because there is a world out there that desperately needs it. God, even those as violently against it as Paul, I'm so thankful that you kept coming back to him. And that, Lord, I pray for us in our lives of personal evangelism, that there are people that we will constantly keep coming back to, no matter how hard they continuously press against. God, that we would patiently come back, that we would compassionately come back, that we would lovingly come back and continue to bring Jesus before them, whether that's within our families, whether that's within our circles, whether that's within our workplace, wherever that is, God, let us passionately continue to bring you back to them. Father, I pray that we would respond in a way that honors you, God, within our lives, within our hearts. God, let us lead our families, let us lead our spouses, let us lead our influences, our circle of influences towards you because, God, you are our only hope in life and death. Father, continue to convict us beyond this moment, God, and let these words carry beyond today. God, we love you, and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.